0: Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the One Last Time edition. A little dose of Hamilton for you there as we are down to the final game of the season. The Bengals will take a 6-9 and record into it after losing in Cleveland on Sunday, 26-18. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, locker room comments from key players, and Dave Lapham will join me for post-game analysis. Plus, in this week's Fun Facts interview, you'll get to know quarterback Jeff Driscoll. Among other things, we'll discuss the three years he spent living in Japan between the ages of eight and 10. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since... Stores that will wrap the gift. I do some things well, but wrapping presents is not on the list. No matter how hard I try, a Dan Horde wrapped gift always looks hideous. So, thank you to the stores that make my presence look nice and neat. Now let's get to football. The first time the Bengals faced Cleveland four weeks ago, the Browns were unstoppable in the first half, scoring on their first four drives to take a 28-0 lead. That was not the case in the rematch, as the Browns punted on their first two possessions and did not score in the first quarter. Unfortunately, the Bengals didn't exactly capitalize. Driscoll wants a shotgun snap, stomps the right foot, catches the snap, drops back, gets hit, fumbles the football, and it's recovered by the Bengals at the 49-yard line. Joe Schobert with a sack to dislodge the ball from Driscoll, and Giovanni Bernard fell on the bouncing pig. The Bengals finished the first half with minus 15 yards passing. You heard me, minus 15 And once the Browns started to click offensively, they scored on five straight drives. Duke Johnson lining up to the right of Baker Mayfield. Here's a lob for Najoku. He high points the ball and pulls down the touchdown. That was the first of three touchdown passes for the first pick in this year's draft, Baker Mayfield. Here's Bengals rookie, Sam Hubbard.
1: You know, he talks a lot, but obviously he backs it up. And uh, the way to get them to quiet down is to beat them and that's
0: what we got to do one of the reasons mayfield is thriving is the creative play calling of new offensive coordinator freddie kitchens and he dipped into his bag of tricks the next time the browns had the ball first and 10 from the 30 the browns leading 7-0 here is a double reverse and now landry wants to throw guns it deep downfield it is caught man Callaway running inside the 10, and he will be tackled at the 7-yard line. Make that Perryman on the catch. A double reverse, and Jarvis Landry stepped into a deep ball and gunned it with a left hand way downfield for the completion to Prashad Perryman. Jarvis Landry's option pass went for a 63-yard gain. Here's Will Jackson.
2: They did a lot of tricky replays, which we knew he was going to get. We knew he was going to get that. That's crazy, but it was a great pass.
0: And it set up the Browns' second touchdown. Mayfield fakes a handoff, rolls to the right, sprinting toward the sideline, throws, and it is caught for a touchdown. Fells with a touchdown catch, one of the three tight ends. Baker Mayfield sprinting down the field, pumping his arms, and the Browns have taken a 13-0 lead.
3: Oh, Baker Mayfield bought time, bought
0: time, bought time. Cleveland missed the extra point, but kicker Greg Joseph made his next attempt, a 37-yard field goal with 10 seconds left in the second quarter that made the halftime score 16-0. Here's Marvin Lewis.
1: When you get a position, then we've got to make the play. We didn't make the plays early in the game. That's why I said it at halftime. They've
0: had, they made all the plays. we got to make some plays. There was only one scoring play in the third quarter, and the Bengals didn't make it. Mayfield holds up his left fist before catching the shotgun snap. His pass caught over the middle. Higgins racing inside the 10, the 5, extends the ball in his left arm toward the pylon, and it is... A touchdown for the Cleveland Browns. The Bengals trailed 23-0 going to the fourth quarter, and their first objective was to avoid being shut out for the first time since the 2017 season opener at home against Baltimore. A 51-yard attempt. Harris to snap. Hubert to hold. Here comes the kick. It's got the distance, and it is... Yes. Good. So the Bengals avoid the shutout as Randy Bullock connects from 51 yards away, they are booing here in Cleveland because the Bengals have managed to score. Cleveland answered with a field goal to make it 26 to three midway through the fourth quarter and it certainly didn't look like the Bengals would have a chance to win. But to their credit, they made it interesting. Driscoll waits for a shotgun snap. Billy Price ready, fires it back. Driscoll back to throw. Good pocket, throws toward the end zone. Uzama leaps and pulls it in. It's a Bengals touchdown with 4.56 to go. Jeff Driscoll's touchdown pass to C.J. Uzama made it 26-10. And one minute later, the Bengals came up with a big play on special teams. Here comes the punt. Oh, it's blocked by Clayton Fedulum yes. And the Bengals are going to take over at the 23-yard line of Cleveland as Clayton Fedulum named a first alternate to the Pro Bowl as a special teams ace, blocked the Colquitt punt. And the Bengals take over deep in Brown's territory. Clayton Fedulum says Sam Hubbard deserves the credit for the block punt.
1: We schemed it up pretty well, um, and it was really, it all happened because of Sam. You know, Sam beat the uh, snapper across his face and took the PP out of it. All I had to do was run forward and take the ball off his foot. So, um, you know, it was a great plan, and then with Sam, and then just, it was a great executed play.
0: The PP, by the way, stands for personal protector. In three plays after the block punt, the Bengals found the end zone again. Two receivers to each side of the formation. Second down and goal from the Cleveland three-yard line. Driscoll catches a high shotgun snap in trouble. Scrambling left. Throws into the end zone. Touchdown! John Ross running along the back line of the end zone. And the Bengals have scored back-to-back TDs. Now if they go for two, they could make it. A A one-score game. game They could pull within eight if they can convert a two-point conversion. Ball is placed at the two-yard line. Driscoll is under center, takes the snap, fakes to Mixon, looking, throws, it is caught by Cody Core for a two-point conversion, and the Bengals pull within eight with two minutes and 56 seconds to go.
4: Man,
3: where has this been?
0: The Bengals were down by eight with 2.56 to go and no timeouts remaining. Marvin Lewis elected not to go for an onside kick and the Bengals never got the ball back. On a short pass by Mayfield to tight end David Njoku, Jesse Bates gambled and tried to make a diving interception. It didn't work. Njoku turned it into a 66-yard gain down to the Bengals' 3-yard line, and the Browns elected to run out the clock for an 8-point win. After going 1-31 over the last two years, the Browns improved to 7-7-1, they also swept the Bengals for the first time since 2002, the year before Marvin Lewis became head coach. The Bengals are assured of finishing with a losing record and in last place in the AFC North.
2: Here's Joe Mixon. Um, it's very frustrating, man. Um, never been a part of a losing program, and uh, you know I'm never gonna get comfortable with being a part of it. Um, at the end of the day, man, you can only. Take it for what it is this year. Um, build and, you know, try to get better, get ready for next year. But, I mean, we still got another week coming up. Like I said, it's a big one, man. But uh, we I promise you we ain't going to be in this for long, and that's a fact.
0: Mixon, by the way, finished with 68 yards on 17 carries to go over 1,000 yards for the season, despite facing a Browns defense
2: geared towards stopping him. you seen how it was? I mean, it's nine, ten-man box. I mean, I still was busting out there, so um, I mean, it's it's hard, you know, to get through that. But you know, you can only hope to contain me. You're not gonna stop me.
1: Joe, how much does it diminish the accomplishment of having a thousand yards that it came in a game in a loss?
2: I mean, I told you, I don't care about the individual stats. Um, if we ain't get the win, I don't. I mean, I don't give it down.
0: With some players, I wouldn't buy that. With Mixon, I absolutely do. For the second straight year, the Bengals will go into the final game of the season facing questions about the future of Marvin Lewis. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported on Sunday that if the Denver Broncos fire head coach Vance Joseph, he is expected to emerge as a candidate for the Bengals' defensive coordinator job and potentially, eventually, the head coaching job when Marvin decides he has had enough of coaching. Again, all of that was according to Adam Schefter, the Bengals have not said anything about Marvin's status. Following the game, Carlos Dunlap was asked about the only head coach he's had in nine NFL seasons.
1: Carlos, when you have three straight losing seasons, obviously it's very frustrating. You get
0: the questions about Marvin Lewis. What is your confidence in him returning next season?
4: Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is a professional football league. Um, A lot of things happen. You know, everybody's making business decisions. I have confidence in the football team and the players that we have here that we can do what we need to do. We've been there before, so, you know, you can make arguments anyway, but, you know, I just want to get back to it. Whatever it takes to get back to where we we started off here, um, the habits that we created, I want that feeling back, and today is not the feeling.
1: So regardless of the head coach next year, you feel like this team is, is built to win again? Say what? Regardless of the head coach, you feel like this team is built to win again?
4: We have the players on this team to do whatever we need to do. I'm not in charge of deciding who it is. We've done it with the coaches that we have, and we played hard today. So you can look at it and spin it all kind of different ways that you want to. I just know that we have the talent in this locker room to do it, and we've done it with the coaches that we have here as well. So uh, it's not my decision to make. I just want to get back to it, however we need to get back to it.
0: Now time to bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, for post-game analysis. And we start with a depleted Bengals offense managing just
3: 209 total yards. Multiple times mentioned during the course of the game, I mean, it was, it was like the Bengals were in a sword fight with a pocket knife, you know, in terms of weapons the Browns had available to them and, as opposed to weapons the Bengals had available to them. And uh, it took it took a little too long for the Bengals to open it up a little bit and, and get some things going. i, I got to give credit, though, to C.J. Uzama and other guys for, you know, fighting to the finish and, and showing... Uh, you know, showing that they're they're not going to quit no matter what. C.J. Uzama playing with a, a bad shoulder, as we said, Dan, for for quite a while. It was good to see him get rewarded with some plays because you know it was tough for him out there physically. I'm sure. Unlike the first meeting between these two teams, the Bengals
0: defense stopped the Browns early in the game, but once the Browns got rolling, much like that first game, they had a stretch <laughs> where they marched right up and down the field.
3: Yeah, I mean the second quarter belonged to the to the Cleveland Browns. I you mean know, they. they Outscored the Bengals 16 uh, nothing. I think it was in that second quarter, uh, maybe 16-3. And the Bengals put the Browns put up 16 points in the second quarter. Bengals put up put up 18 points in the uh, in the fourth quarter of the football game, or something like that. But at any rate, the Bengals second quarter has been their Achilles heel. They've allowed 200 points in the second quarter now. With this uh, adding today's total to it, and I mean they've scored 115. That's pretty good. They've been outscored by 85 points, allowing 200 points in one quarter. 15 games, 15 quarters. They've allowed 200 points. That's almost incomprehensible. It's really mind-boggling, and that's what's put them behind the eight ball. You know, many times uh, down the stretch here after that four-and-one start, the Bengals had minus 15 yards passing in the first half.
0: What did they do in the second half to at least get something going?
3: Yeah, I, I think I think part of it was you know, what, what Greg Williams decided to do. I mean, when, when he was going eight and nine guys in the box with one safety deep, you know, he had 10 guys, you know, within five yards of the line of scrimmage because a lot of times with one receiver is playing press coverage, everybody's up there tight. So it's like they were operating in a, in a box in a closet and that's how the Bengals were kind of playing. Um, and then he, he started you know with a comfortable lead he changed his mindset a little bit and, and uh, loosened things up and the bengals by formation loosened some things up and they took advantage of some opportunities that were presented i will have to say though honestly in eight quarters of play baker mayfields maybe the most accurate quarterback i've seen this year i mean some some plays were there wide open but other plays he made unbelievable throws and his receivers rewarded him with great catches and you know, I asked Marvin about uh, all the all the gadget plays, uh, you know, that Coach Kitchens had, and he said, you know, we worked against all of them. You know, they'd, they'd seen them all on tape. It was nothing that was a big surprise. They just got out-executed. And, they, and when you think about it, they were in position to make plays on a lot of them, but, you know, Landry made as good a throw as any quarterback can make. He threw the ball on the money. He threw it as far as he could, and it was a strike. It was, it was dropped in a perfect spot. So got to give the Browns credit. You know, they made plays, and the Bengals didn't, and they won the football game. Best wide receiver
0: arm since Mohamed Sanu.
3: Yeah, I'm telling you, he just <laughs> he did. He can he can chuck it, and a lefty too. I mean, he's like a, uh, a snake stabler of, uh, of of wide receivers. It was in Michael Vick, you know, <laughs> throwing the ball. It was it was impressive to watch that play. But they, um, you know, Cleveland's a good football team. In eight quarters, they didn't allow a quarterback sack. They didn't turn the football over going to win you a lot of football games that go hand in hand when you're not getting consistent pressure on the quarterback he's not going to put the ball in jeopardy and Baker Mayfield didn't he had time and and vision to to operate and when you give him that he's he's deadly he puts the ball in tight spots.
0: Next week's season finale in Pittsburgh has been flexed from one in the afternoon to 425 and it's become a must win game for the Steelers just to make the playoffs. After losing to the Saints on Sunday, Pittsburgh is a half game behind Baltimore in the AFC North and a half game behind both Tennessee and Indianapolis in the battle for the last wild card spot. Those two teams face each other next week, so unless they tie, the winner is guaranteed to finish ahead of the Steelers. Therefore, for the Steelers to make the playoffs, they have to beat the Bengals and hope that the Cleveland Browns can upset the Ravens in Baltimore. It's hard to believe, but the Steelers could miss the playoffs. They were 6-2-1 before dropping four out of their last five games. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. In this case, it's the 25-year-old that took over at quarterback when Andy Dalton broke his thumb. Time for some fun facts with Bengals quarterback Jeff Driscoll. Your hometown is listed as Oviedo, Florida, near
1: Orlando, but you moved around a lot as a kid, right? Yeah, so my dad was in the Navy, uh, long military background, both grandparents in the Navy, uh, dad in the Navy. And uh, so he was stationed in Jacksonville where I was born, and then his final tour was uh, in Japan. So I lived there when I was 8, 9, 10, and then uh, he retired uh, in Oviedo, which is right, right outside Orlando. Tell me a little bit about that experience in Japan. Did you live on a naval base? Were you in an apartment with a family? How did that work out? The waiting list to live on, there was two Navy bases in the town we were in, Sasebo, and um, so we had to live off the base for about a year and a half, and uh, they called them Cho's. Each mountain had their own neighborhood, and it was Mm -hmm. called a Cho, and uh, and we lived in a house for, you know, about a year and a half, and uh, there was a a high school bus stop right outside our house. So we would always see the Japanese kids when they were getting out of school and stuff in their uniform. So it was different, but, um, you know, I enjoyed it, but definitely happy to move back to the <laughs> back to the States for sure. We're
0: doing fun facts with Jeff Driscoll. Your dad signed you up for Little League, which is like a full-time job in Japan. And he says you towered over the Japanese kids so much that they called you Godzilla. Uh, was that the case?
1: Yeah, I was a little bit bigger than the <laughs> yeah, other yeah. kids my age there. And like you said, full-time job. Uh, we practiced – I mean, like I said, 8, 9, and 10 years old. We practiced from 9 to 5 on Saturday and Sundays with an hour lunch break. So it was wild. Different animal over there. No wonder the Red Sox drafted you <laughs> with that kind of work ethic. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So I got burnt out a little bit there. <laughs> All right, I know you're not going to do
0: it for me here, but can you still sing Silent Night in Japanese? I can say it, but
1: like you said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I, can, I can. I don't know if it's right, but from what i remember that those are the words but like you said no chance i'm singing it with your dad's naval background safe to assume that discipline was pretty strict in the driscoll household yeah i mean no i no more no less than you know most other kids my age and you know i think my dad did a or my parents did a did a really good job of instilling discipline and values like that uh when me and my brother were were young so i'm sure that had to do a little bit with with the navy and how he was brought up as well Your brother,
0: Jason, was a college quarterback, had a great run at Florida Atlantic a couple of years ago. They won 11 games. They won a bowl game. How competitive were you two guys as kids?
1: Yeah, very competitive. You know, like any other older brother, younger brother combination, you're always going to compete in everything. And the big brother is going to beat up on the little brother a little bit, but it's only going to help him out in the long run. And yeah, Jason had a a real nice career at FAU, and um, he enjoyed his time there
0: we visiting with Jeff Driscoll. You became the starting quarterback at your high school as a ninth grader, had a great high school career, national player of the year your senior year. I'm trying to picture what recruiting must have been like when you are one of the top high school quarterbacks in
1: the country. It was crazy. You know, you see all this stuff on Instagram and social media now with all these kids who have boxes and boxes and boxes of mail and offers from people that they never talked to. And, you know, I kind of had that same recruiting story. And, you know you don't really know when you're that age you don't really understand it and you think it's really cool but at the end of the day you know you want to go to somewhere that fits and you can only only play for one team so it doesn't matter how many you get and you just got to make the most out of your opportunities but yeah the recruiting process was nuts. I picture the first few letters being awesome and then
0: just the whole thing becoming overwhelming.
1: Yeah I mean you definitely hit it on the head you know the first letter you get you think you're going there and uh (laughs) that's that's not how it played out but it it definitely got to be a lot and i was ready for it to be over to be honest with you you committed to florida Mm -hmm. to play for urban meyer and
0: then he left he resigned cited health problems eventually a year later wound up coaching at ohio state but i mean one of the reasons why you choose the school i assume has a lot to
1: do with the coach when that happens how tough is it yeah i mean it's tough you know they they spend a lot of time with you and your family and um you know you you kind of get to know them as people and and then you play for somebody else it's tough but that's i mean that's the business of it and you know maybe as a 17 year old kid you don't understand that but you, when, when you look back on it you know you, t- you totally understand that that things happen and and you move forward and you know it worked out uh just how it was supposed to
0: So your sophomore year, you lead Florida to 11 wins and a trip to the Sugar Bowl. The team was ranked number two in the country at one point that season. The following year, emergency appendectomy prior to the
1: season, broken leg in week three. How did those setbacks impact you? The appendicitis, that wasn't a big deal. That was surprisingly only a couple days Mm -hmm. in training camp. Um, So it was an awesome job of the doctors diagnosing that and getting it fixed as soon as possible. And then the the broken leg was, was tough. You know, I was you know, coming off a, a decent year and feeling comfortable going into my junior season. And um, yeah, I ended up breaking my leg and getting a redshirt year for that year. But it, it was tough, but that happens in football. You know, every year somebody that happens to, you know, a bunch of people. So you just have to be able to, you know, not let it get you down and you be able to, to come back and respond.
0: You walked off the field with a broken leg.
1: I did. I did. I don't know how smart that was. But <laughs> Not very. <laughs> I, I I thought I'd be a tough guy at the moment, but uh, I don't know how smart that was. You finished your college career at
0: Louisiana Tech, Ruston, Louisiana, mm-hmm. threw for more than 4,000 yards your senior
1: year. What was that season like, getting that opportunity and taking advantage of it? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I I got there, and they're on the quarter system there, so I think it was February, which was February or March. It was the first day of uh, spring Spring practice, so you know have to, having to learn everything all at once, and it was it was awesome. The people there made it really fun. The coaching staff, the players, and the people in the town made it awesome. And then uh, you know us playing pretty well made it fun too. We had some really talented players, guys that um, play against in the league. So that that was really a really special season, and you know I'm happy that it worked out like it did. Jeff, for those who don't know, you are under contract to two professional sports teams, the Bengals
0: and the Boston Red Sox. Explain how it happened. You've told us on radio shows before, but people might be listening now that haven't heard that explanation previously.
1: Definitely got a little bit overwhelmed, not overwhelmed, but a shock in my junior junior year in college. Um, you know, was watching the draft on my phone because I had a bunch of buddies that were going to get drafted and, you know when you're in the 20-whatever round, and the MLB draft picks are flying off the board left and right. So, you know, I see a buddy get drafted, you know, text him, whatever, go back in, look at, the dra- look at the tracker, and I see my name. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And didn't know if it was real or I didn't know what was going on. And a couple days later, I get a call from them, say, hey, you know, we drafted you. Um, you know, and I thought to myself, why would you draft me? I'm a football player. And that's what I told them. And they said, um, hey, just in case you ever want to play football, we want it to be for the Red Sox. So I said, yeah, I'll I'll sign. So, (laughs) you know, not not looking to play baseball, but if I do, it has to be for the Red Sox. Kind of a cool trivia nugget. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last thing
0: for Jeff Driscoll. You and your wife, Taryn, became parents this year. Your daughter was born earlier this
1: season. How has fatherhood impacted you? oh man it's you know one of the greatest things that could ever happen to me you know aside from from getting married that's the you know best day of my life um and it's it's been awesome you get to go home every day good day bad day okay day it doesn't matter um you know your family's happy to see you and uh you know it just really puts everything else in perspective that the most important thing isn't in this building and um it's, it just helps you keep it keep it in perspective and um it really gives you a reason to go out and uh, and do what you do and uh, and provide for them well put you're off the hot
0: seat happy holidays appreciate the time thanks dan and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast if you haven't done so already don't forget to subscribe on itunes stitcher or podbean and give it a rating or leave a comment your feedback is always appreciated and five-star ratings help more bengals fans find this podcast I'm Dan Horde wishing you a Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.